real life superpowers. My entire business philosophy is as follows. When I focus my time and resources on value, okay, now I know that's a cliche word and everyone uses the word value, but it can mean anything, anything, introductions to investors, you know, help with your pitch, whatever it is. But when I focus my time and resources on helping you, the entrepreneur, win, what happens is you have no expectation because you're not paying me, right? So if you're not paying me, all I can do is exceed expectations, right? And when I exceed expectations over and over and over again, what I create is something that I like to call delight. It's delightful, right? Think about anything in your life that would bring you delight, you'd pay for it. And so these entrepreneurs come back to me with hearts in their eyes, like in the cartoons. And they're like, listen, dude, what you did for us, like, you know, you really, really helped us. Let's work together. And then we can talk about money. Till then, I'm in the business of delight. Let me delight you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for being with us. In this month's episode, we speak with Hill Fold. He's a one-man legend who's very known in the tech landscape as a top influencer. He's a person that accomplished everything by just doing what he loves and hoping that people will love what he does. He started off by literally just posting his musings online as a diary, which led him to working with the top tech companies in the world. Listening to him, you'll quickly notice his elegance and how being an approachable human being can lead to incredible places. He's living proof that when you're having fun, you're the best version of yourself. Check out the episode. Real Life Superpowers Cool. So, hello. Welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Israel's tech ambassador. It's quite the title. What are you up to these days? I think it would be faster if I told you what I'm not up to. <laughs> uh, I'm doing a lot of stuff. I'm doing a lot of stuff. Thank God. Uh, business is good. I guess I like to, I like to characterize what I do. Uh, first of all, I should say that it's, it's a massive challenge for me to, to explain what I do. Um, you know, as we say in Hebrew, the uh, the uh, shoemaker goes barefoot because here I am marketing other, other people, but I can't market myself. So um, I'll try. Um, I like to say I, I wear five hats, and I'll go through it real quickly so we can jump in. Hat number one is startups that reach out to me and ask for help with all things growth. So anything from social media, content, biz dev, fundraising, PR, whatever it may be. And I'm always happy to meet entrepreneurs, always happy to help, no strings attached. But like 2% of those companies come back to me sometimes a decade later and say, listen, you helped us early on. Uh, we know what you did for us and we want to work with you. And so much like a venture capitalist, 98% of the companies I invest in, quote unquote, uh, I don't make a dime. 2% return my whole investment. So that's hat number one. Hat number two uh, is content. So I write uh, as a contributor, a columnist for basically almost every tech publication. So TechCrunch, The Next Web, Venture Beat, Nashville, Business Insider, you know, on, on, and on. Uh, a lot of writing. Um, and then about four years ago, I was in Silicon Valley and I was meeting executives at Apple and Facebook and Google and everyone was talking about Israel. Everyone was like, oh yeah, Waze is so amazing and Mobileye and Wix. And I'm like, oh, you know, you know Waze. They're like, yeah, it's amazing. I'm like, oh, so you know Uri Levine? They're like, who's that? I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, you've heard of Mobileye? Have you heard of Anon Shashua? They're like, never heard of him. I'm like, you, you know who Mark Zuckerberg is, right? Why don't you know who Avisha Avrahami is? And I, I realized that while we're you know, kicking butt on building tech, these founders are completely anonymous in the world. Nobody, nobody's heard of any of these guys. So I said, I'm meeting these people anyway. I'm going to come with a camera, start doing interviews, interviewing people, 
start a vlog, a video blog. So I started that around four years ago and having a good time with it. And then about six months ago, I started a podcast um, called Bootstrap. Um, we've, we interviewed our prime minister about 20 seconds before he, he became prime minister. Uh, we interviewed head of product at Waze. We've interviewed a lot of VCs, having a good time with it. So that's hat number two is content. We're almost, we're halfway there, almost. Hat number three is uh, public speaking. Not much else to say about that. I do a bunch of public speaking around the world. Uh, Hat number four is um, I have formal relationships with some multinationals. I work as a Google developer expert. That's what they call it. Um, I work as a member of the startup advisory board at Oracle. Um, I work as a key opinion leader at Huawei. They all call it something else. It's all the same stuff. You know, they they kind of get access to my audience. I get access to their product and win-win. And then the final hat is the most uh, recent, which is, uh, you know, I started to um, encounter entrepreneurs over the years that, that wanted to work with me, but, you know, they were early stage. They couldn't afford my retainer. And so I said to myself, instead of working one-to-one, why don't I work one-to-many? And so I launched a, uh, an entrepreneurship course about, I don't know, three, four months ago. We only had one, one cohort so far. Uh, it was amazing. Like, it was really, truly amazing. We brought, like, VCs. We brought, like, you know, CEOs to talk to the, to the early stage entrepreneurs. And now I'm about to launch uh, the second cohort and just a quick story, and then I'm going to shut up. Um, so uh, there's a really hot company in Silicon Valley called Maven, M-A-V-E-N, that is built for cohort-based courses. And the problem is that it's uh, in beta, closed beta, but their investor is Andreessen Horowitz. So I sent an email to Mark Andreessen, and I said, I really want to use Maven. Can you get me in? And he introduced me to the CEO of Maven, and they just approved, like, as of this morning, we're going to be using their software. So that's super exciting. And that's what I do, basically, a kid in a candy store, having a good time and partying. Amazing. I think probably the last sentence, a kid in a candy store, that's like probably the essence of it. And there's so much to unpack here. But I want to ask you first, like you were saying before that you don't do a very good job marketing yourself. And I think that you're doing the best marketing because I believe that content marketing and everything that you've just detailed is exactly marketing. And the fact that you're loving it and that it's coming natural to you doesn't in any way decrease from that. But I'm curious because you had something in mind when you said that. What, are you, what do you feel that you're not doing? It's more of a question of how do I explain what I do, right? I, I have a real problem with that. In other words, if you came to me and you said to me, you know, I have developed an algorithm that analyzes your blah, blah, blah using AI and machine learning, I would say, okay, that's not your pitch. Here's your pitch. And I would be able to pitch it to you in about 10 seconds. But when you say to me, who's Hillel Fold? I'm like, uh, 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 I have no, I, how do I explain it? You know, so... I actually totally understand you on that sense. Like, I, I think it's a big problem, like defining yourself. Um, it's under saying if you're a marketeer, it's not saying the truth. If you're saying you're a guru, then it's saying too much and there's no way to win that. So, yeah, I get it. I don't want to I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I have a real problem with people calling themselves experts and gurus and ninjas and rock stars. Like, dude, no rock star in history called themselves a rock star. Like, let other people call them call you a rock star. But if, if you're a ninja you're not going to talk about you being a ninja. Otherwise you ruin the element of surprise. You can't be a very good ninja. Right. So I, I, uh, I have a real problem with that. I have no problem with other people calling me that, although I do hate the word guru. Um, but yeah, if someone says to me, what do you do? I just, I just say, I do marketing. You started off as a blogger. Like how did this all start? Did you see yourself? Were you trying to be strategic about it? Were you trying to build a brand? How did it evolve? So no, when it started, um, I, what I do today wasn't even a thing. <laughs> like, you know, there was no such thing as a startup advisor. There was no such thing as a social media influencer. None of this stuff existed. More words to describe yourself other than marketer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, listen, I, I know this is super cliche. You'll forgive me, but I just love tech. 
I just had a deep, deep, deep passion for tech. And I'm sitting at my desk. My first job was a technical writer, writer user guides for like enterprise servers. Doesn't get much more boring than that. And I just opened the web browser and I started writing my thoughts. I didn't call it a blog. I called it a tech journal or a diary or something. I wasn't doing any SEO. I didn't care who was reading it. There was no business model. There were no ads. It was literally just Hill writing his thoughts on WordPress. When was this? I want to say 15 years ago. So within a couple of months, entrepreneurs started to reach out to me and say, listen, I read your article. I'd love to meet you. And I'm like, are you sure you mean me? I'm like, you're a CEO of a company. I'm just some random guy writing on a keyboard. But okay, happy to meet. And so I meet with these entrepreneurs and I realized very, very quickly that as good as they are at building tech and products, they are equally bad at building businesses. So I would help them with their pitch. I'd help them know their competitors. I'd help them, you know, figure out a go-to-market, usually over lunch, like just, you know, casual. And they, they didn't pay me. There was no business here. And people would say to me like, no, why aren't you taking money? You're connecting the startup to investors. Like you should take money for that. And the truth is, it's a valid question, right? It's a legitimate question. I didn't really have a sophisticated answer. I'm like, I just sent an email. Like all I did was connect this startup to an investor. Like I don't, I don't need, to, I don't need to make money from that. Like this investor trusts me, and I'm not going to compromise that because you know you're offering me five percent. And and again, the truth is, the question is stronger than the answer. I, I didn't have a good answer. But in retrospect, what happened was, um, fast forward 10, 15 years. And many, many companies came back to me and said, listen, you helped us early on. We know what you did for us. We want to work with you. And I said, okay. And so I kind of built myself this portfolio of companies that I work with on growth. Um, some of them for equity, some of them for retainer, some of them for a mixture. Depends kind of how active I am. Um, but none of this, you know, I like to pretend that I planned all this. None of this was strategy. None of this was a plan. It totally happened. I don't know if I want to say accidentally, because I'm not a big believer in coincidences, but it wasn't my strengths that led me to where I am today. It's sort of like the, the, the difference. I see that a lot in entrepreneurs between sprinting and marathons. So the strategy was, without even knowing, being a marathonist. So connecting people was marketing yourself, okay? And marking reliability and trust, building that trust so that one day in the marathon, you'd have a heavier, um, you'd have a trust bond which would equal a better deal at the end of the day, meaning usually people say, I need ROI right now, and they see things right in front of them. And by the way, when you said in the beginning that they're really good about you know, getting somewhere but not building big companies, that's sort of like strategic advice because what they do is they're looking for, that's one of the values that for building a giant company is actually looking for the marathon ROI and not the sprint ROI, which, which is exactly what you did. Right. So that is something that helped you get there. And I have to defraud you. Okay. So I'll say like this. Number one, uh, in retrospect, I now realize that by not taking money back then, I was actually building uh, the, the most important asset in business trust. Right. When everyone around me was selling something and I wasn't, I wasn't selling the thing, people knew they could trust me. And trust is very important. That's number one. Number two, again, in retrospect, I didn't know this back then, but today I can tell you that my, my entire business philosophy is as follows. When I focus my time and resources on value, okay, now I know that's a cliche word and everyone uses the word value, but it can mean anything, anything, introductions to investors, you know, help with your pitch, whatever it is. But when I focus my time and resources on helping you, the entrepreneur, win, what happens is you have no expectation because you're not paying me, right? So if you're not paying me, all I can do is exceed expectations, right? And when I exceed expectations over and over and over again, what I create is something that I like to call delight. It's delightful, right? Think about anything in your life that would bring you delight. You pay for it. 
And so these entrepreneurs come back to me with hearts in their eyes, like in the cartoons. And they're like, listen, dude, what you did for us, like, you know, you really, really helped us. Let's work together. And then we could talk about money. Till then, I'm in the business of delight. Let me delight you. You know, and when I meet with entrepreneurs and I say, what are your challenges? They're like, really? No one's ever asked me that. I'm like, let me help. They think I'm nuts. But that's, that's the business. By the way, that's the difference in words. So it's not value, it's impact. So you're, you're focusing on impact, not on value, which is not a cliche word. And by the way, the same strategy as a drug dealer. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they say, okay, you can, you, can try, you can try this one and maybe you like it. So you're actually giving the impact and then they love the impact and they keep on coming back. That's, again, the marathonist. And it's okay you're doing it in hindsight. By the way, Steve Jobs also connected dots in hindsight. So that works. All right. I'll take it. Hill, how did you know to help them? Was this just sheer confidence and common sense? Or did you have some experience before that? Well, I'll tell you, but you have to promise me not to get insulted. Okay, I'll try. Okay. So I often speak about the difference between sales and marketing, right? Both sales and marketing need to sell something at the end of the day. So what's the fundamental difference? And I'm not talking about the tactical difference. Tactical difference is one's short-term, one's long-term, fine. What is the fundamental difference between sales and marketing? To me, the answer to that question is one word that does not exist in the Hebrew language. You ready? Yeah. Subtlety. Subtlety, to be subtle, right? In Hebrew, the closest word to that is me'udan, but it doesn't really mean that. Subtlety is, listen, if I'm a good salesman, you know you're being sold to. If I'm a good marketeer, you have no idea that I'm marketing to you. It's subtle. Red Bull does not have the word beverage on their website, literally. They're jumping out of planes. That's good marketing, right? And so how did I know how to do this? Because I'm American and Americans are more subtle than Israelis. And so when I'd sit with an entrepreneur and they'd say to me, we've developed an algorithm that analyzes the metadata of your photos and organizes them based on geolocation. I'm like, dude, what are you even talking about? What language is that? Here's what you do. And they're like, holy hell, I didn't even think about that. How did I know how to do that? Because I'm a subtle person. I can make, I know how to make people's heart pound because again, culturally, Israelis are not subtle people. Americans are. So it just, it was very intuitive to me. That's fair. And it's definitely sounding like common sense once you say it. But at the end of the day, may I ask how old you were? I'm 42 now. So 27, 28. All right. So this is pretty much like first years of experience in like the, the world of adults. And I mean, I'll, give you, I'll, give, I'll give you a real example. I, I know it sounds strange. Like what have you done that you're able to, I, I understand your question. It's a good question. I'm not blaming you, by the way. I'm trying to tap into what gave you the confidence. Right. I think what you were doing was fantastic. Right. So let me, let me, let me give you an example, like a, a real actual true story. So I met with an entrepreneur about, I don't know, let's say 12, 13 years ago, a guy named Ron Levy, who is an amazing dude, amazing entrepreneur. And he had an app called Flavor. What did Flavor do? It organizes, it organized my pictures on my phone. That's it. That's like, that's it. it just organize my pictures. And, I, and like, it, I, you go over to like a 12 year old in America, you say, pitch me an app that organizes my pictures. They'd be able to do it. But this guy, he's an engineer. I love the guy. Don't get me wrong. But he's an engineer. And he talks like an engineer. And so literally what I said to you before, that was his pitch. We've developed an algorithm that analyzes the metadata of your photos and organizes them based on geolocation. That is how he pitched me. I said, Ron, that is not English. What do you do? I don't want to know what you built. What do you do? And he could not tell me. And I said, let me tell you what you do. Apple released a gallery. You replaced the gallery. He was like, oh, my God. How the hell did I not think of that? And that's how he pitched his company from that day on. And then he get, ended up getting acquired. Not that I'm not taking credit for that, but, you know, again, it was very like, of course, that's your pitch. You know what I mean? 
Yes, yes. But I think that's art. And I don't think, you know, that it's a cultural gap. And I'm certain that if you were working uh, in the US with American companies, you would be able to bring that value there too. And I don't think that it, you know, begins and ends with subtlety. And I'm certain that if I bring in 10 more American people who are now 27 and sit them in a startup and tell them to advise, nine out of 10 are probably not going to be able to add anything near the value that you did. So I'm finding it very impressive and I'm trying to understand where did you find that confidence? Were you scared at first or was it that natural? Did you, were you like just sort of like a fish in the water? This just felt right and you went with it? So interesting question. I actually had this discussion with my wife yesterday whether or not marketing is my call. Like literally we had this discussion last night. Um, but I'll say, I'll say like this. In addition, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm taking like jabs at Israelis. Don't get me wrong. I'm Israeli. I've been here for 30 years, totally Israeli, okay? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna take another jab at Israelis. Um, in most places in the world, when you're driving and you wanna switch lanes, you put on your blinker and the guy in the next lane slows down to let you into his lane. In Israel, what do they do? Speed. Speed up. Why? It's a competition. So- <laughs> but why? Why can't you let me into your lane? Why would you not slow down to let me into your lane? Ego. Okay. Well, I call it something else. FOMO. Um, okay. So I like it. I call it the fear of being a friar. Which is that? I'm generalizing, of course, but life is all about generalizations. But if I say to an American, what do you want it to say in your tombstone? Like, what's the most important thing for you in life? I feel like most people would say I want to be a good person. In Israel, I don't want to be a friar. Now, by the way, I don't want to get too deep, but like there are historical reasons for this, in my humble opinion. Like, Again, I don't want to get too heavy and too deep. No, go, go there. Why? The Jewish people, like throughout our history, we had to survive. We couldn't let anyone into our lane. We were focused on survival, you know, and here we are at home and quote unquote safe. You know, we still have enemies, of course, but like we now have more resources that were otherwise dedicated to surviving. And now we're using them to change the world through innovation. But the concept of I'm not letting you into my lane because that makes me a friar, like a sucker in English. I really think it's ingrained into our culture and our history. I really believe that. So like saying that, by the way, I'm, I'm Canadian. So I, I actually agree with you. Um, and, and the reason, in my opinion, is it's a confidence thing. So by, by default, we feel fucked. Okay. Um, and, and if you feel fucked, that means that everybody's trying to fuck you and maybe someone's not. So that's by default. And, and in us, there's, there's, there's a legal term for it. It's called innocent to proven guilty. So it's a state of mind. So here it's guilty to proven innocent, which is understood. And, and, and what, what you're saying about the subtlety, I, I really agree because it's the same thing. It's, it's a confidence thing. It means, um, I have to oversell because. No one will listen to me if I don't. I'm just this Israeli person with 5 million people in the Middle East, which has only camels in their heads. Everybody in the U.S. thinks we have camels. Um, in Canada, by the way, that's they, they didn't even know that we had camels. So I understand that. And it's like brutal simplicity, what you're talking about, more than subtlety. Okay? So I'd say the difference between marketing and sales, which I agree upon, it's the difference between objective Sales, meaning I don't have to oversell. I have a product that if I explain it simply and he tries it, they'll love it between subjectively trying someone to like something that they don't even know what it is. So the difference in sales is pushing someone to take someone anyways, and that's not objective. And in marketing, you actually get the real self. And why am I saying that? Because what you said in Israelis, the biggest problem that I see is that they try to subjectively persuade themselves that they have no problems and they oversell instead of going into those problems 
and then fixing them or just trying to be themselves in what, and it has exactly to do with what you're saying. I just call it a confidence thing where the culture gap is, I don't want to get fucked because by default, they were, weren't, but you know, subjectively as a Jewish person, they were for so long that they have to protect themselves. And that's the lame thing. And it's something that I think from 70 year com country in about 200 will solve. Okay. So, so it'll happen and, and it'll get the, the level of uh, urgency lower. And that way they'll take more time. And I promise you that then they'll know who Uri Levine is because it, the bad side is what you're saying. The good side is you get ways in like a year and a half exited like billions where it takes 20 years in other places. And Nintendo was a 250-year company and they had the, you know, the lifespan and the the time just to wait for that happen. And they're just doing it so fast. Mark Zuckerberg took his – it sounds like he didn't, but he took his time. And so I, I, I really concur with what you're saying. Um, I just want to know, are there any kids listening? No, go ahead. We are kids. I just want to make sure because there were a lot of F-bombs dropped here just now. <laughs> I'm just, just saying. <laughs> uh, we'll take responsibility. It's our rating. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so I, listen, I, at the end of the day, uh, a lot of it was intuitive to me. Um, and add to that the fact that I was deeply, deeply, deeply passionate about technology. So when I would say to these entrepreneurs over lunch, who are your competitors? And they'd say, we have none. I'd be like, are you for real? Like, of course you have competitors. Here are your competitors. And I would tell them, why did I know that? Because I love tech and I was nonstop reading about tech, learning about tech. And so, you know, it, again, it was, it was natural to me because it's what I love. Um, of course, I learned on the job. Of course, I, I expanded my knowledge and my expertise, but even the basics uh, I felt were missing back then from a lot of the entrepreneurs in Israel. How much width is helping you instead of uh, depth? I mean, it sounds to me that you're working with so many companies and you're, you're, you're doing so many things that actually one of your added values, and maybe I'm wrong, is just knowing a little bit about a lot of things and then connecting the dots between them, which is something that the entrepreneur doesn't have, which is a great superpower. Interesting. Well, I want to believe that my ADHD helps uh, to do a lot of things, number one. Number two, uh, I really am not doing that many things, meaning a lot of these logos that you see behind me are companies that I've worked with in the past, but I'm not like working with them on a regular basis. Um, and, my, and my portfolio is based on my, my portfolio is made up of companies that I'm working with out of which, I don't know, 75% of them are equity based passive advisories, which means I don't even speak to them, not once a week and not once a month. The companies that I'm actually hands on working with is not that many seven, eight companies. And, you know, uh, it, it's not, you know, add that to my ADHD and the fact that I can do a million things at once, plus many, many quote unquote hacks that I've learned over the years to optimize my time. Um, I would say that. I don't work any harder than the next person, but I get a lot more done than the next person. And I'm home every day at five o'clock with my kids. So tell us about that. Tell us about some hacks. What kind of phone do you have? iPhone. Okay. Both have iPhones. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So in the menu, in settings, under general, under keyboard, there's a thing called text replacement. You ever hear of it? I think so. Like you type a word and then it replaces it with stuff. So you can type a shortcut and it can replace it with anything. Now, the obvious ones are like, you know, my email address, right? I put in my, I put in like four letters and it fills in my email address or my home address or my phone number. That stuff is kind of like a no brainer. But what I did is I took it to the whole, a whole new level. So I'll give you an example about, I would say five to 10 times a day, I get an email from a random entrepreneur saying, Hey, hello, my name is so-and-so I'd love to meet you. Now I have to ask why now I have to know, do they want to meet me because they want introductions to investors? Well, then for that, we don't need to meet. Um, do you want to meet me because you want me to write about your startup? Well, what do you do? Maybe it's not even relevant. 
if you want to meet because you want to do some brainstorming, okay, let's meet. But I have to ask that question in a way that I don't come off conceited and sounding like a whatever. So that's that paragraph. Let's call it six, seven sentences. I write 10 times a day. It takes me, let's say, four or five minutes each time times 10. That's an, that's an hour wasted. So I set up a shortcut where I write the word, literally just the word context with two question marks, and it fills an entire paragraph. Or I'll write, for example, the word updated bio with, in one word, and it fills in my entire bio, which would otherwise take me around 12 minutes to write. Um, I have an entire, and I mean this, an entire dictionary. I'm talking, I never counted, but I would imagine probably close to 100 shortcuts by now. And I would say that out of every 20 emails that I write, 19 of them are shortcuts. And so I save about four hours a day on communication from that hack alone. Oh my God, I'm going to use that hack as soon as we wrap up here. It will change your life. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. Sorry, I'm, I'm just laughing because I was the douchebag that only did the mails. That's also, by the way, brutal simplicity, by the way. Again, you hacked it in brutal simplicity, right? But it doesn't mean it's not genius. See, that's the difference between uh, Americans and, uh, and Israelis right there. You can't even imagine like what I have shortcuts for. Tons of people ask me because after my, after my tech, my, my next passion is food. So I get like at least 20 people a week asking me what my favorite restaurants are. So I set up a shortcut. I write the word best rest and it fills up 50 restaurants. People ask me, what books do I read? I write the word best book, fills up all my books. Oh my God. Anything. It's like I have literally an entire dictionary. It saves me so much time. You cannot even imagine. I can't believe I didn't think of this till now. I'm going to do something. I don't know how the sound will come out. Thank you. Thank you very much. A standing ovation. Standing ovation. Very good. It was a sitting one, but it's the same thing. I, I can stand if you want. Jokes aside, if you set this up, you're going to save yourself so much time. Just a communication alone. I'll give you another hack. Want another hack? Yes. I could go on for hours about this, but I'll give you another hack. Okay. So, you know, when I meet with startups and, you know, when startups are trying to build their, 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 their marketing strategy, to me, in my opinion, content, content marketing, not PR, not social media, just content on the company. It's called the company blog or podcast or whatever. To me, that's the foundation of the building. Okay. On top of that, you build social media, you build SEO, you build, but the content is the foundation. Now you say to, I say to a startup every day, content, content, content. What do they say to me? You know, that's great, but I, uh, I need, I need traffic. Like I, how do I get eyeballs? And I say, all right, well, you know, SEO takes time. Here's what you should do. Once a week, interview someone in your industry. A, a, a big name in your industry. So you reach out to someone and you say, listen, my name is so-and-so. I have this blog. Our company does ABC. I'd love to interview you. Number one, everyone likes to be on stage. I can tell you that out of the thousands of people that I've interviewed, never has anyone said no, never. That's number one. So you now established a relationship with that person because you're giving them a stage. Now, as soon as you send them 10 questions by email, which takes you five minutes, they send you 10 answers, you copy and paste it on your blog and hit publish. What is the first thing that person's going to do? Share it. You're going to share it. So you're sitting and you're getting traffic from this incredible thought leader in your space. You couldn't pay enough money to have Steve Wozniak tweet your blog post, right? So number one, you got a relationship. Number two, you got crazy traffic. Number three is without even mentioning my name, everyone around me says, oh my God, Hillel just interviewed Steve Wozniak and my brand gets elevated. And this whole thing, it, it happens overnight. Marketing takes time. Not this. This happens overnight. Another hack for marketing. You want to get traffic? Interview people. Simple. Amen. I knew that one, but it's still I'm going to do the, the brutal. I like it because of the explanation, the brutal simplicity. There, there are a lot of them. So I wanted to ask you, you're so in tune with your passions and with your interests and with your doing. 
was there a time in your life when this wasn't right when this didn't feel right that you had to sort of attune your compass or were you or did you do you feel like since an early age you're on track i mean i had you know when i turned on a computer for the first time many 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 years ago it was clear to me that i needed to work in tech but i had no idea how i mean i didn't i'm not an engineer i'm not you know i just love tech so i did have to start off in industries besides tech to just get some experience so i worked in You know, I told you I was a technical writer, writing user guides for Converse. I worked in finance for a little bit until I made my, my way into tech. I, those, but I was there temporarily. It was clear to me that I wasn't going to stay there. So it wasn't like, um, you know, sitting there writing this tech guide for Converse. Were you feeling frustrated or was it painful in some way? Or how did it feel then? Because it's, you know, it's, it's easy sort of in retrospect to look back and think, yeah, I knew that that was just a step in the way. But sometimes those steps can be very difficult. So it's funny, you know, now I know that they were difficult because, as you know, Facebook has a, a feature called memories. And I look at my memories every day and I looked at my memories from 15 years ago and I was and I talked on Facebook about how frustrated I am and how I don't have confidence in technical writing and user guides. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, It was clear to me that I was, that's not what I was going to be doing because I could read my own post. And it was like so frustrating. Do you remember looking back like what you did in order to sort of grow out of it and move forward and build yourself? You're not going to believe me, but I started writing on the internet. That was it. I'm telling you, I never spent a dime, even till today, I've never spent yeah. a dime yeah. in my life yeah. ever. You got positive feedback. But I've never, ever spent a second, a cent or a second promoting my content. Yes, of course, I'll tweet it and I'll fake, but I've never spent a cent. The content did, did the work for, for me. You know, it, it, I, don't, I don't want to use the word viral, but, it, it, you know, good content spreads. But did you know it? Was it an experiment? Was it an outlet for you? Like, were you afraid that you're not going to make money? No, it wasn't, it wasn't at all my mindset. My mindset was, I love tech. I have thoughts on tech. I'm going to write them down. I don't care who's reading it. I don't care if no one's reading it. It was for me. Um, and so it's a lesson, I think, for entrepreneurs, which is you got to be passionate and you got to do... the right thing for yourself and not for other people. And don't start taking advice from everyone. Do what's right. In your opinion, follow your heart. And what about making a living? So I had a job. I was a technical writer. I had a salary. You know, that was, and then as these things grew and slowly but surely, my first job in tech, um, I was hired by a company as head of marketing. Within about two months, the CEO calls me into his office and he says, you know, all these startups are coming to you and you're meeting them and you're helping them. I think it's time we changed your title to chief, uh, to senior evangelist. He says, go out there, meet these startups, you know, push our brand. And that's what I did. And that, then it became my quote unquote job. And how did that feel? I loved it. I, was, I mean, I had already been doing it. Now I was doing it formally. It's great. I'm sort of feeling like you were so sort of with your head down, like doing that. It, it seems like you weren't very reflective about it. And I'm not saying in, in a judgmental way, it sounds like amazing to just be in, in flow almost. You feel to me like a person that is just... convinced he has conviction that what he should do, he should do it right now. And you think about the right reason. You just push through it and see, you know, happiness and not pleasure style. Like, I, I feel like um, that's you. You're confident. You're just doing it because I'm doing something I like and I believe in it. And you hope that hope or want that something happens, but it's not fully planned, which is great advice. Yeah. So I think that had I not started to get emails from entrepreneurs, had it not turned into a business, I would have continued anyway. I was doing this for myself. I love tech. I loved writing. I was writing. Because the fact that it became a career is nice, but had it not, I would have continued anyway. Yesterday, you had a conversation with your wife about if marketing was a calling. Sorry, that's you setting. So you don't have to answer, of course. But 
I think that is the question. Is it? So you want my opinion or my wife's opinion? Um, I think your wife's opinion. So, so she's probably right. Um, what she said is marketing is a diving board into what you said before, impact, right? I've gotten 450 people jobs. I've helped thousands of startups. I've given you know a stage to I don't even know how many people. I feature people every day. I give shout outs to people. I, I, I elevate others, you know? And so I just wrote a post this morning about the importance of, we talked about subtlety and there's no word in, uh, in Hebrew. Well, firgun is no word in English, right? Call it like giving props. And so that's what I do. And so maybe marketing was a vehicle to get there and leave an impact on people's lives. That's her opinion. My opinion is yes, but you can't say that my calling is not marketing. Like it, it comes so naturally to me. It's so intuitive to me you know, that I can't imagine I wasn't put on this earth to do marketing. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Um, I'm, I'm sort of going to try something and say this. I think you, I think the, you gave me like a uh, epiphany moment when you said elevate others. So I think if I really go there, okay, I think your calling is empowerment. It could be to yourself or other people, but that, that, does, that works through marketing or can work through other things. But I think you, I, again, I don't know it as well. So like for our audience right now, we're meeting right now. So I'm guessing here, but I think the fulfillment is the empowerment, the impact of empowerment that you give other people. And they, you're saying it like that. I got 450 jobs and I gave them the stage and you're empowering people that, you know, it could be yourself, like you empowered yourself and you want to give the skills of empowerment to other people, which is great. Yeah. But I, I want to emphasize something. A lot of times people say, you know, your the fact that you elevate others and empower others is good karma. And I say to them, forget karma. I don't pay for groceries with karma, right? Mm -hmm. So I actually think that elevating others and empowering others is a good business model. And the reason is that when you pave the road for others to go on their way to success, you end up going down that road as well. And I'll give you a very, very simple example, right? You know, when I meet with people, I always take a selfie, right? And it's, it's become like a joke. Oh, he'll take selfies, fine. But what do I do with those selfies? Think about it. Every person that I meet, I talk about how amazing they are, right? I'm not BSing, like I'm, it's genuine, but I talk about how amazing this person is. Now, if you're following me on social media and you see in my feed thousands of people that are all rock stars and they all have one thing in common, they're standing next to me. Well, what does that say about me, right? So I'm paving the road for others to go on their way to success and I'm joining them on that road. Yeah, well, you, you can, there's, it doesn't make you evil when you help, you can help other people only if they're in your interest. So it doesn't make you evil. It makes, it makes it logical. There's no such thing as help without getting any ROI. It could also be emotional ROI. It could be money ROI. The same thing. It's still ROI. So I, I don't like, I understand. I don't see any defense on that. You're doing a good job. You're doing it for a good place. You get paid. It's like, you know, it's from the Bible. It's worked the same way. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I agree with you on that. Um, I've, I've helped close, I don't know, tens, probably, probably a hundred rounds of financing. Uh, I've never taken a finder's fee, which is totally legitimate to take a finder's fee, but I don't. Um, and there's zero ROI there. Why don't I? Because that investor trusts me that he's getting the best deals from me. And the second I start taking a finder's fee, it changes the whole dynamic here. And I'd rather take that trust and build that relationship and take the 5% out of the company's pocket. Because at the end of the relationship, what will it give you? A bigger business, something more impactful, something more important. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not, but that's the, that's the bet you're trying to take. I know, but- It's not a good bet. It's not a good bet though, because 98% of the companies I've helped don't pay me and never paid me and will never pay me. 2% do. So I, I, I do most of what I do for free. 
Yes, but you're well-connected because you're trustworthy. By the way, I'm not taking away with that. What I'm telling you is you're trustworthy, which, by the way, that has a lot of ROI. Like For being successful, in my opinion, is not making money. It's never having to ask something twice. So when you pick up a phone and you need help, okay, that's ROI, man. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that like people understanding that the impact has more value than the ROI right now is something that we're missing in the world. And I actually like that value. It doesn't have to be in cash, but it does make you um, secure that you'll always have something to do because you're I'm, a good person is a problem because I'm not going to judge you on that. You're professional. And your professionality understands that if you get in the middle as a middleman, it, it's, it's against your interest as a empowerment, as a market, whatever you want to see yourself. And that understanding means it's being a professional and there's not enough professionals, meaning this is what I do. So I'm not going to make, get that and 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 try to win all the wars. And I like, that's what I mean by the feedback. Okay. We'll take it. Thank you. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay, so respectful for your time. What is your superpower? Wow. Um, optimization of time. <laughs> Skill set, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I genuinely, like, I think, honestly, jokes aside, like, if you would see my scent items every day, you, you wouldn't believe it. Like, I mean, I don't know, 50, 60 intros a day, like that. Beautiful. I just got to say, like, with so respect jealous. to what Renan was saying, and like, I just want to sort of wrap up that conversation because I feel a little uneasy here. Um, I think it's important to to clarify that I think maybe the word ROI here is causing a little bit of discomfort because it's like you're not giving with an intent to get back uh, and to see a return. I think you're giving and you're sort of putting things out in the world and you're, you know that at the end of the day, when you navigate that way in the universe, it's going to pay off because it just has to. And that's not karma. It's just, you know, how you're operating in your life. Uh, and I think it's very visceral and it's beautiful. But I just want to say, like, I feel like I, I think also Renan isn't judging or saying that you're sort of strategically sort of planning how you're going to really monetize this. I think it's important to to clarify that we see the beauty of what you're doing here. And you were also saying at the end of the day, you don't go to the grocery with that. With that. And the fact that you're able to go to the grocery with that just goes to show that, you know, being a good person, and I'm going to say a good person, and just giving to the world uh, does prove itself. And, and that hill is proof. Yeah, and, and just, just saying one more thing. She's apologetic, but I have to say, I, I had a great conversation with you right now, Ilan. I think, um, um, I, I think I'm really, really jealous, first of all, because my biggest weakness is time management. So I'm super jealous about that. And, and secondly, I think the brutal simplicity of what you're talking about and the impactful is one of the best podcasts I had with the listeners because I, I'm missing people and I admire so much that you explain simply complex problems. And that's your solution each time. So which I would really say brutal simplicity is a superpower. And it was, and if anything was judgmental, it's the exact opposite because what I'm trying to get out of you is just that what is amazing is I understand everything you say clearly. And I know why it's so much fun working with you. And I haven't worked with you because you look at someone that is brutally honest, says things like simplicity. And that's how People, you're approachable and it's fantastic. Okay. So on, on that side. Yeah, Two things so, to say right. about that real quick. One is my favorite quote is Da Vinci's quote. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, right? The ability to communicate in a simplicity, you know, that's number one. Number two, as a person who's religious and believes 
not in coincidences. I don't believe there's such a thing as coincidences. There's a reason that I started my career as a technical writer. A technical writer needs to meet with engineers and take their engineer language and translate it into English, simplify it. And that's what I do for a living now. So there's a reason I started as a technical writer. I believe that. Yeah. See, again, I got it. I understand it. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, like, this is amazing for, like, on that sense. And what's your kryptonite? Unreliability. I can't deal with people who are unreliable. It drives me up the wall. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you don't know if you're going to do it, don't say you're going to do it. Always under-promise, over-deliver. Do not ever over-promise and under-deliver. That is the worst thing you can do. And you still work with uh, Israeli entrepreneurs. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He was like, no comment. No comment. No, no, I'm joking. It's I said it, Rene Paz. Hillel said no, he doesn't agree with anything. Hillel, how can entrepreneurs uh, join this new course of yours or any other ways also that they can, uh, other than social media, you're all across the web, but in general, if an entrepreneur now wants to get your help and or join your course, what do they do? Hillelfold.com. It's all there. And when's the, the first course starting? The next, the second course. It's uh, after the holidays, so like October-ish. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, guys. And I hope the drone behind you is not spying on us. And if it is, it's okay. It's one of the many. We have and nothing to hide. And I hope you have a great day. And just, you know, really, it was, it was a delight. So This was much. fun. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Real Life Superpowers Superpowers.